season three faith in a fresh vibe podcast coming at you from treaty seven territory calgary alberta canada i am ro hattie this is a part two of a two-part series with bernadette arthur hey by the way that intro and the outro switched it up for season three courtesy of mr john corbin out of toronto ontario Look him up on Spotify or wherever fine albums are sold. Bandcamp, too. So, for free. Support your local artists. Thanks, John, for the samples. This episode, as I alluded to in the intro of episode one of season three, this is one you don't want to miss. There are some deep thoughts, introspection, and a perspective from a minority voice both of us, but a unique one from Bernadette here who has worked within one of the dominant institutions, the Christian Reformed Church, in the capacity of anti-racism, justice. And today in this podcast, she's going to share some insight, not only insight about her time with the CRC, I think her experience is just like every other denomination right now, at least dominant white Euro-centered denomination that you may encounter. And that is a reality of an inability to deal with white supremacy. So when I use that word, I don't mean white supremacy within the lens of there are white supremacists running the show, which it could be true, but there is a dominant way of thinking that has impacted what we believe, how we believe it, and also who belongs, just to name a few. Listen closely to some of the metaphors that Bernadette shares. I'll ruin it for you now. Listen to the baking metaphor. That one made me stop and pause, and I had to think about that. I'm going to put it in a book, and it's totally right. If you want to do some introspection about your own church or your denomination, the baking metaphor is going to ruin you. Without further ado, episode number two, season three, Bernadette Arthur from A Shared Table. Look her up in the show notes. Take it away. We want to switch gears and and talk about your experience now after your experience in the Adventist church or maybe during, you spent some time working in the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church. They had a very specific uh, role. Mm-hmm. What, what was the role called? Rights, race, 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 uh, race relations no. advocate. Race relations. Yeah, racist advocate. <laughs> race relations advocate. That was close. Mm. Did you walk into this job? Yeah, you had to. Have. I want to know the process here. No, no, that's not the right question. I, would you bring us through your experience here to something that I would presume would be hopeful, but then uh, wound up perhaps being less hopeful, but um, there are powers and forces at work that... Man, if you, as a person of color or as a black woman, you want to stay in those places, they will slowly eat at you and take your soul. Yeah, I am not going to lie. Sometimes I'm triggered by the word hope and hopeful. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody has to make meaning for themselves around what hope is. 
I can't do that. And I feel like there's a lot of times where, especially in that context, um, where people are like, give us hope at the end. And I'm like, I can't do that for you. <laughs> oh, so in your teaching, like even in that space, your your hope even looks different than their hope that they're right. trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah. So I'm always like, you know, what was hopeful? Um, I think what was, um, let me remind myself of your question. You, you triggered me with that hope question. <laughs> well, you walk into these spaces and this is now, I mean, it's, it's going to be your story, but I think it's very akin to any other story of a, of a person of color walking into a white institution and particularly white evangelical and uh, having a sense that change could be made. And so you make the attempt and some give their life into that for little and then others uh, realize quickly that, oh my gosh, this is not all what I thought it was going to be. If you enter into any type of um, culture disrupting, status quo shifting, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. justice establishing role in an institution, especially, um, but I would even say in an organization, et cetera, where they were not built, and sorry, especially when you are doing that culture shifting um, work in a way that that was not on their radar when they started. It started the your role or started as an institution as an entity yeah 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 okay i would like to say that you will be quickly disillusioned (laughs) yeah if you feel like one this is going to be work that will be done in your lifetime Mm -hmm. oh boy two if you feel that there will be no resistance around adopting the things that need to the belief the beliefs and the practices that need to be adopted in order to actually disrupt the current um flow of culture and that'll that can be very painful if you don't go in realizing that and i'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be um, fatalistic or doom and gloom or I just like really think it's just the reality of the thing. Right. Well, it's both your experience though, yet the experience of so many others. Yeah. And it's also, it's just also just like when I, if I'm baking a cake, it's hard after that cake is baked to give it a different flavor. I might be able to, drizzle some peanut butter on top of it, maybe some jam and give it a little bit of a different flavor. But the flour is already, you know, kneaded into the batter, the eggs, the sugar, you can't make that diabetic. You know what I mean? Like you can't be like, oh, there's diabetics now and we got to change this. You know what I mean? Change the, the way that this cake is constructed. The cake is already constructed, Redren. It's just not, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, and is that a Bernadette uh, special? That metaphor? 
I think it is. I think that's really that, that just, okay. That I'll just came you. to me. <laughs> <laughs> that is an exceptional metaphor. I love it. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I thank the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> no, but that's the reality of the thing. And honestly, one of the reasons why I left, and it's no shade to the Christian Reformed Church, et cetera. One of the reasons why I left um, was I did get a bit of a, a spiritual revelation, which was interesting because I, I felt, you know, very um, disjointed in my spiritual relationship um, with God at that time. But this was very clear. Bernadette, you did not build this house. Um, and if there's a strong man in the house, um, if we go back to, you know, that scriptural passage, mm -hmm. the person to bind up that strong man is not you, the yeah. people who built that house. They need to feel like we need this strong man out. I can't be, they can't be saying, hey, there's a strong man in the house and we want to, you know, we want to get him out. And Bernadette, go on up there and, you know, like deal with the strong man. And every, you know, every day I'm going in and getting my ass whooped or sometimes, you know what I mean? Sometimes we're have, able yeah. to have a, you know, yeah. a cordial conversation and you know what I mean? Yeah. But like I'm engaging with the strong man, but everybody else in the house isn't. In fact, they're still feeding him, you know, three Damn. square meals. Oh, shucks. You know, like he still has a whole suite. You know what I mean? Mm. Like all of those things. And I was just like, it's not my strong man to, to bind. Bind up your strong man, and in solidarity, we will work towards doing what needs to be done to refurnish your house or to restructure or to completely flatten it. And you know what I mean? Build a new thing, which is that's where I tend to go. <laughs> we just need whole new things. Um, Amen. But um, I just realized that it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like the cake was already, it was already baked. Mm. Mm. That's a that's gonna be a book somewhere. This strong man runs the house. The strong man runs the house, and you know it because, and that's and that's what that's why sometimes um, folks of color or other people who experience marginalization in these communities, they're like, but they've invested money, you know, like they're paying me to come in and to like talk to the strong man and blah 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 blah. But I'm like, but are they invested in that? And they're the only ones because it was their grandparents and their great grandparents that like built the rafters and you know what I mean? That are still, you know, doing all of the things to maintain this house. That's when you start getting the pushback because, oh no, but let's, let's not take down that beam because, um, you know, my grand, my grandfather built that beam. <laughs> let's not, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like take off well, that picture. But that beam has so much history. Right. Right. And we, we just can't throw away our history. Right. And so I'm like, you don't have to throw, like, you know what I mean? Like, let it all pee, but let's, how are we restoring this? How are we, um, and a lot of times when you really, really look into it, there's very few people in these organizations and institutions that really want to do that work of flattening the structure and restarting. It's kind of nervous for me to say that because like, I still work with these organizations. And what I do have hope in is people. I have hope 
And when I say people, I mean, I have hope in the spirit's work in people. I don't have hope in the institutions. I don't have hope in the institutions that were not built with black and brown folks in mind. There are essentially none in our context in Canada. Yeah, there's very, very, very few. And then, you know, for those of us who are doing our own things or we have built our own things, um, we need to, I would say it's the black and brown folks who probably can do the, the renovations. But white folks, don't need, they, they can't renovate. They need to flatten that structure because we still need to do our own work of thinking about how we've internalized white supremacy or how mm, we mm-hmm. um, so we don't rebuild the same thing. Yeah, and a lot of ways, and a lot of a lot of some of the things that we've done, we have rebuilt it. Some of our, you know, associations and cultural, you know, what I mean, cultural associations, so that we have definitely replicated some of those things. Um, but I feel like those things can more do renovations. Like those institutions can more do the renovation. Like how do we tweak? And you know what I mean? And shift and redecorate and renovate. But these white institutions, um, these predominantly white institutions that were built, like the educational, the criminal um, justice system, which isn't really a criminal justice system, the law, um, like all of those systems, healthcare, all every of that. Every system. Yeah. Every system. Every yes. system. In the slam. They just, they need to be. They just need to be revamped. Like, like start, let's start again. Let's start again. The, uh, and that's tough because people don't have an imagination that I don't even. So when you say defund the police, for example, my imagination stops short of what does it look like without any police? Because that's literally what it means. So we lack an imagination to help us down the road of what this new system, and perhaps not in our lifetime, perhaps only in the age to come that something like this would happen. This is... One of the weaknesses of, and, and white folks are all, all up on this, Ibram uh, uh, Kendi's, Dr. Kendi's book on, on how to be an anti-racist mm-hmm. and that his, his primary, um, and, it's, and it's for the general market, right? But his primary argument is that you're either a racist or anti-racist and our mechanism towards becoming anti-racist and, and, and society, I, I suppose, is to enact anti-racist policies and to um, tear down racist policies. But Doing that work is merely at the policy level. We're not talking about the structures. We're not talking about the bones or the beams or the cake. Those things need to shift and change. And ultimately, I'm with you on this one, I don't think they can. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know if that is a matter of, of hope. There is no hope in those spaces. I don't know how God works. God has far more hope than I and and... And God works in mysterious ways. So I, I sense that there are places there where predominantly white institutions and, well, let's say exclusively, and white churches can go. I don't think it's in a space of being fully diverse or inclusive. It's, there's just no capacity for that. There's no formation of what that potentially looks like. Um, but there might be a little shift to be a little bit more inclusive and Maybe that's a little bit better, but the whole completed shift or the new imagination for something that is fully inclusive, that's not coming from the center. Yeah. And I think that like, 
I, I'm not quite sure why we've become so enamored or attached to some of these things. They, it served its purpose. You know what I mean? Like what? Hmm? Which things? Um, these institutions, mm. you know, um, if it served its purpose and now we, we've established that we need an, you know what I mean? Like it needs a new purpose. Then like, I don't understand why there's such attachment. Um, but usually there's attachment because it, it, you're messing with people's power and access to resources and their ability to, to, to maintain that. 100%. Yet the last shall be first. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of feel like I'm like, for me, church is much bigger than an institution. An institution can be the vehicle by which, you know what I mean? We do church type things and you know what I mean? But if we found that the institution that has been built is just not serving its purpose anymore, then there's still something greater. There's still, there's still something more richer and robust than the actual institution. And so I feel yeah. like right now we're in this place of transition. Um, yes. And I mean, a lot of the work that I do is with um, institutions and church institutions and whatever. Um, and I see it more as like, and the work that I do there, I do it because of the people, not because I'm committed to the institution per se, but I see the work that I'm doing right now. I and mean, a lot of like DEI consultants and stuff like that, I feel like a lot of this work is more creating um, spaces and places for this transition of what the new thing is to come. So I don't feel like, oh, like I'm gonna, again, it's probably not the thing that you should put in here, but I don't feel like the work that I'm doing with this specific institution is gonna transform the institution to this place of like, yeah, we've all got it and you know what I mean? Like this is going to be absolutely different and whatever. I feel like if that happens, it'll be an anomaly. But I feel like it's more doing work to support this transition that's happening of institutions crumbling and new things needing to be erected. I think that, and let's go down that road here. I think that the institution is, some will crumble um, and disappear. Some will just continue to recycle itself. Um, when you look at mainline traditions such as the United Church of Canada, they have been at 90, they've lost 90% of members. They're still losing. That's been happening for four decades. Uh, when we look at white evangelicals, most of those churches, not most, but some are resilient. They're maintaining enough. They have enough babies basically to, to stay open. Uh, in many respects, I think that institutions are capable of incremental shifts. They, they can mm -hmm. do that, but they're not going to go down the space of reimagining what it means to gather. Even in, and this is what 2020 has done to us in its chaos, is that it has this pandemic world now that shifted us and made pastors realize, or leaders, that they can never go back to the way things were, and that people are not coming back to the way things were. So few really care, you know, like, oh my God, I don't have 30 minutes of preaching and 30 minutes of singing every week. Like, what do I do with myself? There's not a lot of people who are like that. And now the push towards equity and all the anti-racist movements are picking up steam for the same purpose of reimagining what it might look like, life beyond this. And I don't think the institution can go all the way. It can incrementally shift and pick up some 
pieces along the way, so uh, they could potentially become slightly more anti-racist. Will they ever become fully diverse, though? No. Mm-hmm. Never. So that really leaves us in a space of what is next. And I appreciate you sharing uh, your story with the CRC. And, and I want everyone to hear that this is not a unique CRC story by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination. Definitely. This is any white institution. And in the Canadian context, that's any institutional church, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this is what it looks like inside, even when you're an ally, even when you are the pet uh, to use... Um, Dr. Ra, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ra, you're the threat of the pet um, as a person of color in a leadership position. Let's now spend the rest of our time talking about what could be next, because we center too much of the conversation about revitalizing or saving the institution as if it needs saving. Uh, Perhaps it's just going to do its thing, and that's cool. And go and do your thing over there. We too busy making our own thing over here. Mm Mm-hmm. What does this look like? What does this look like? No, t- is this now hopeful? Are we getting into hope now? What does it look like to hold space to do community, to find a place of full belonging, and dropping hints to my next book, of finding full belonging for marginalized people? I don't have the full answer to that, but can we, can we, can we rap about this? Okay. What can the new, the new thing look like? Um, what can the new thing look like? I think that it is incumbent. I'm thinking that it is incumbent for us to be, to be creating spaces where we are able to express our faith that allows for, um, for myriad expressions of faith. And saying that, it almost seems like, oh, that's really scary. Like, what would that look like or whatever? But I think of DCC. I think of how there are some people who are trying to consider the ways that they um, encountered and seed God through or and saw or and experienced God through maybe their um, Hindu um, practices and upbringing and how that connects to the story and the person of Christ or somebody else who's trying to do that with, you know what I mean? Other streams of, other streams of religion. And I think it's going to be necessary for us to create a container, maybe not even have a container, but enough space for all of us, especially when you're talking about reclaiming things that have been told that have been said are that's evil. That's, you know what I mean? Like there needs to be enough space for not for us to have this sense of like, oh, this is what we all believe and that we're all, but more a sense of this is the journey that we are on to understand who we are, who God is, and what are the ways that colonialism and whiteness, how that has been stripped from us or caused us to be very unimaginative with the ways that we see and know and experience God. And that sound, probably sounds really scary and stuff like that, but I feel like all the boxes that Christianity created, we have to create spaces where there's much less boxes and there's much less space for people to 
experience God in ways that are not so constricted and defined. I feel as though, as we were talking about this, uh, Bernadette and I, along with the venerable Mr. Ren Ito, are uh, three co-founders of DCC, Decolonizing Christianity Canada, of which the three um, values of this mishmash grassrootsy thing, it's a thing, this thing is uh, Disrupt Lead Hill, and the disruption is that space of, of... pressing against colonial or white Eurocentric thinking and formation. But I echo what you were saying with encountering God or knowing who God is throughout our different expressions. To me, that's Mm -hmm. knowing God Mm -hmm. in my own skin. And the ways that he or she has revealed themselves through... Yeah, through different forms of religion. Um, I definitely am committed to, again, like I said, the person of Christ and Christ being connected to God. Um, But this idea that like, and Christ's connection to God in terms of Christ being the way, the truth and the life. But I think what this reminds me of is a story. Remember, um, maybe about, it was probably about six years ago. um, I had a mentor in the community development realm, because I also do work in asset-based community development. And, or that's a practice that I, um, I seek to follow. I remember her telling me a story about a couple who, um, they're from India, and they had come into relationship with Christ. So they considered, they were Christians, they considered themselves Christians, um, but still had the altars. And I remember being like really offended by that. Mm-hmm. Like, but how could they be Christian? Blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Sure. Yeah. And who told you that you couldn't do those things? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, but now like I have much more space for that. And it's not necessarily because I don't, it's not because I like, I need to, because before I needed to be like, we all do this. We all think this. We all believe this. You know what I mean? And that feels safe to me. That feels like I can be like, oh, that's that's what Christianity means. Like that's the stamp of it. But when I think about how pervasive this like white colonial force has been, mm-hmm. I just think like, we've lost a lot in terms of our ability to understand how God is manifested in this world, whether it's through different religions or cultures or, you know what I mean? Cultural practices, et cetera. We have made God Um, small. Yeah. So small. And so that's why I'm saying the new thing has to have enough space where we're like, okay, this is maybe what we agree upon. And for me, maybe the agreement is more about the ethics than necessarily all the beliefs. Like I need to be convicted about, it kind of goes back to that like conversation that Paul had in Acts around, you know, was it Acts, Corinthians, Um, um, about, you know, food being sacrificed to idols. 
right? Like one person feels like should eat that food. Another person feels like no. And he was trying to bring people together more around the ethics. If I'm offending you because I'm eating that food and you know, the language that he uses in this cheeky way is like, you know, the, those who have weaker consciences, conscience, consciences, yeah, um, then don't do it. But what was motivating the principles, that the, the ethics, so what was motivating the practices was the ethic of love. It wasn't, you all need to believe this way on this specific thing around, you know what I mean? Food sacrifice to idols. And I would like to see, in terms of what does it look like moving forward, more space for that. We haven't had space for that because white colonial, you know what I mean? Like that agenda um, and how it's influenced church does not create space for nuances, for mystery. It just doesn't. It doesn't. So I feel like that's going to be necessary, especially as people are trying to understand how to reclaim practices, spiritual practices um, that were, they've been told is evil, but is actually leading them into like greater fellowship with the divine. Sorry, and I see that a lot. I think, I think where I see that most um, readily like manifested in a way that like at least I can hold on to is with indigeneity. Indigenous folks understanding of nature, of creation, um, the ways that they engage um, who, for those who practice like, you know, that way of life, for those um, who engage, like it's astounding to me. Like I cannot say that this does not have the divine, mm. you know, what I understand as a divine all over it. Mm. And so I think that we need to have more space for that. So that's one thing. That was a long, <laughs> long answer to that. The other thing I would say is we need to um, have spaces of healing the ways that we've been told that we are defective. And I'm kind of using a nod to Resma Menachem um, in the book, My Grandmother's Hands. One of the things that he constantly says is that we are not defective. We have a lot of trauma responses. Mm. We have a lot of uh, behaviors that we've adapted to survive, you know what I mean, in this realm. And I think a part of... Um, creating spaces is that we, you know, the, the third way, as you call it, is that we create spaces that healing is central because we can't just come into this and just try to do a new thing and think that we're not all affected by the traumas that we've yeah, yeah. been. So that has to be huge. It can't be seen as something, you know, yeah. um, and that leads to the third thing. It has to be holistic. It has to include not only mind, a lot of this has been centered on mind. What do you believe? What do you believe? But it has to include um, our guts and our hearts, you know? Um, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your mind, your heart, your body, your strength. You know what I mean? Like, um, so really, truly creating, like, places of worship and connection where all of that is honored. Um, I think that's, a, that's another aspect that's critical um, I think we also need to create space where we are very intentional about not replicating the oppression 
that we ourselves have experienced. And so although I feel like the spaces of healing are necessary, um, and I think that those spaces should probably be centered um, primarily and initially around just BIPOC folks, I think that we need to create space, uh, spaces where we are working in solidarity and we're exercising our leadership capacities mm -hmm. in that way. And we're working in solidarity with other um, communities, including the white community. Mm -hmm. This idea that we are the great hope for yeah. the future. Um, I think we have an important role to play in the healing that needs to occur. Um, but I don't think that we ourselves only are the great hope because we are all still human and we're still um, fallible to wanting to hoard power and all of that. Just because we come in a black or brown skin doesn't mean that we're now going to be like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want that power or, you know what I mean? So our deliverance is tied. Yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our liberation our is, is definitely tied, tied to each other. And yeah. we need to, we need to think about what does it mean for us to be gracious with ourselves? Um, and this is, you know, not everybody's here or there, but also for me, and that embodies the person of Christ is also to be um, very mindful of what does it look like to include with accountability and responsibility um, those who have historically and traditionally um, been in the roles of oppressors. That is partially the vision of, um, or almost wholly the vision of, of DCC as we meander down that role, uh, that road. Mm -hmm. As you were sharing a bit about drawing in the different experiences and being okay in our expressions and in our own skin, which is one, one way to do that. I was thinking of the concept and um, I think it's a theological, it is a theological concept, but it is one that uh, can serve in, in this movement. I think that there is, and this could be just me swinging to one end of the ditch, that there is uh, an impression or, or a need to have um, a healthy focus and so I appreciate you centering your, your focus with mystery on the Christ, um, on this good news figure. And that strikes me as a centered set approach versus a bounded set. And that's that, the theological idea. Bounded having rules or, or um, parameters or um, fences not that fences are always bad, but uh, they're guiding us into a specific way. Whereas the centered, centered set uh, approach says Christ is in our midst here, and we're all in, the, in this pursuit towards Jesus. But how you're getting there and where you're at in that pursuit, and even perhaps how close you are or how further away you are, if that's even such a thing, um, it's a call into the journey towards Christ and wholeness and fullness of life.
Do you want to add anything to the picture of what is to come? Or is that all fit for you? I think that you really outlined it, or at least in your answer, really, really well. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. I would also say that we need to be um, attentive ourselves around, especially in the Christian realm, around um, not seeking liberation for one aspect or one identity and not all. So some people just want liberation or want to experience liberation around race, race-related oppressions. Mm-hmm. And they're fine to have oppressions that exist around those who have different form, differing forms of abilities or those who are queer. And it's like, mm-mm. we need to ensure that we're working towards a liberation of all and that we have space for that. Even if, you know, not everyone has worked out their theology around certain things or whatever, like we can't, we, we, we can't be, yeah, actively oppressing. Like, and I think, and I think that speaks to dynamic, dynamicism. We have to be willing to continually be dynamic, continually be willing to look at the ways that we are um, practicing what it looks like to live out Micah um, 6, 8. Like we need to be constantly and not be like, oh, that can't be us because we're BIPOC and we're part of a marginalized community. You know what I mean? Um, But we need to be willing to interrogate who are the people in our community that don't feel safe. And sometimes, sometimes it's just an assumption that like, oh, well, we're all BIPOC, so we should all be, you know what I mean? Like we should all feel comfortable being here. Well, no there's still ways that we take on the identity of oppressors amongst each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that also needs to be interrogated. Mm -hmm. So I would say those things, those are some of the things that um, are helpful for us moving forward. Um, Yeah. Around like what, what can, you know, church expression look like? I think it requires all of us, not just BIPOC folks, um, it requires it to be holistic um, and centered on healing. Um, and it requires us to, um, it requires us to be, um, it requires us to lean on the sense of being dynamic and emergent, which means when we are told that um, somebody is experiencing oppression, you know, in our midst that we're not like, oh, no, we can't do that. You know? Or you don't know what oppression is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think it, it has to be um, focused more on the ethics of Christ than all of the foundational beliefs. Because I think that if anybody says like, oh, all these beliefs are on lock. You know what I mean? Like, I figured it out. These are, you know, I used to kind of make fun all the time. But you know what I mean? Like Adventists have 27 fund- fundamental beliefs somewhere in between, you know, another one was added. Now there's 28 fundamental beliefs and like, hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, there has to be enough room for, for growth, enough room, enough, yeah, enough room for growth. 
I think I would say one more thing. Well, actually, maybe I did say it in the healing. But yeah, I think, I think we just need to be patient and gracious with ourselves in this process of deconstructing. I think that we ourselves can like maybe almost like replicate the fear that we're trying to, you know what I mean? Like again, from that shift from fear to freedom is that we're so fearful of being like white people. <laughs> um, sometimes we can, you know what I mean? Like box our own selves in. So I also just think about that, like, yeah, I think we need to give ourselves enough space and spaciousness to, to just learn what it is to be and give ourselves patience in that process of what does it mean just to be? Because we're all trying to figure it out. Before we cap off here, maybe you want to share a little bit about some of the work that you do. We have a shared table, but you have other consultancies as well. I do have a company called Co-Culture Collective that um, we do training and consulting work in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, this is your company? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah, so if folks are looking at ways to help um, support the work of uh, culture transformation towards you know, being more inclusive and equitable, um, then they can definitely connect with me. Um, and yeah, I help to offer culture shifting solutions. If you have a chance, check out some of Bernadette's work. I'm going to leave the links in the show description. You can check them out. I think Instagram would be the primary way, maybe a Facebook page as well. Thanks so much, Bernadette, for chiming in, for teaching us, for offering your wisdom. I love the metaphor, as I alluded to on the intro. And then we spoke about the hard questions that many institutions who are now starting to notice congregations are being drawn towards the call for justice, particularly around racialized injustice. But you can't go too far within dominant institutions without fighting with the strong man. How about that? I think there's something to say about the hope that is to come, about what it looks like to belong in church institutions. I don't know if there is belonging for marginalized people, but for church communities, I think we need to have a vision that opens up the door for belonging for everyone, not just those who assimilate to dominant culture, but for everyone, marginalized people, racialized minorities, there needs to be a place where you can live out your full self in the context of community that looks like that picture in the end, in Revelation, where we have every tribe, tongue, and nation, which is just another word for ethnicity. We're all together. Our liberation is tied. Our hope is tied. So why don't our communities look like the hope that we find in Scripture? We can do better, and the people who are going to be needed at the forefront of what better looks like will be the marginalized people. I believe that. So without further ado, we leave you into the next episodes, which will include a deconstruction around worship, which means music for most Western Christians. You're going to enjoy that with Drew Brown. And we'll also have a couple of episodes speaking on anti-racism, the theology of racism, white supremacy, and all that good stuff. 
Thank you so much for downloading this. Would you share it widely? Follow me on social media. You can follow Cypher Church as well. Most updates will come through my Instagram or Facebook page. That always helps indie productions such as this podcast and indie writings such as the books that are coming out. I have one coming out next year. I don't know who, maybe me, maybe a publisher. And there'll be another one, fingers crossed, with the community from Decolonizing Christianity putting out some material, which will be really neat. Uh, That's still in its incubating phase. Otherwise, you can support this podcast by finding the details on the Cypher Church or rohati.com websites. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thank you.